hope that you can keep your Bibles open because we're going to be spending our time together today in this text. And so you may be wanting to follow along and see it in its context. And as you're kind of looking there, if you, if you don't have your Bible, in the Pew Bible right in front of you on page 690, you'll find our text. My name is Kelly. I'm one of the ministers here, and I would like to personally uh, say welcome to all of you. If you're a guest, we are honored that you've chosen to be here with us today and hope that you can stick around a little bit afterwards so those sitting around you can meet you and get to know you. And if you would like to know more about our church, I'm going to be in the back at the Welcome Center after this is over, and I would love to talk to you. There are so many wonderful things going on in our church right now and we want everyone to be plugged in in fact plugged in is is what we're calling our series right now this this study that we're doing we want everyone to be plugged into god's word but more than that we want also everyone to be plugged in in ministry and fellowship and community and we feel like that's where god can work on our hearts and bring the greatest growth and so a couple things just to just to point out first of all there is a marriage retreat coming up at the end of this month, and tomorrow's the last day that the registration will be open. And so we encourage all of you who've been thinking about, well, should I go on this or not? The answer is yes, okay? If you're thinking about it, the answer is yes. You can go online and sign up on the webpage, or even easier than that, right in the back, there's a, uh, a station you can go, you can ask questions, and you can sign up there. Also, as part of our plug-in, each week we're trying to highlight different ministries. Today we want to just let you know that our church has many, many support groups. Just communities that offer support, offer direction, companionship, and, and, and spiritual family. And so these support groups are, are designed for... Um, you to be able to take advantage of yourself or if there's someone in your family or someone that you meet that could be part of this you can let them know about it you can find more information in the back uh, after the service uh, and take advantage of these uh, wonderful opportunities to support each other and you can also go to the web page that James told us about the AM church slash plug-in where you can find more information about this we're in a series we're in a series called plug in and we're looking at the, the book of Matthew, the story of Jesus that Matthew gives us in his gospel. And the interesting thing about Matthew is that Matthew's not all that interested so much in chronology. He's not giving what we would think of as a historical account. But Matthew has a message, the message of the story of Jesus that he wants us to come away with. And he includes a lot of the teachings of Jesus uh, that, that, is, that are really important to Matthew. But another thing that I think is really important that we want to focus on uh, right in, in this series is that Matthew has this subplot. Matthew intentionally shows Jesus and his disciples in a way that he has this picture that he wants his disciples to go out in mission. Matthew wants us to read his story about Jesus with this subplot of Jesus training those disciples so that when Jesus leaves, the mission continues through them. 
And so we've seen already in the series so far, we've seen that when Jesus called his disciples, the answer was, I will, not I want. We saw that to follow Jesus, it takes radical commitment. But when we have this radical commitment, it doesn't necessarily cause us to be prideful and elevate us to a a platform where we can look down in judgment on others. No, we're to live with mercy, not sacrifice. And we've we've seen that following Jesus, we have this, this sacred rhythm. This sacred rhythm that involves prayer, that prayer that leads to coming together and focusing on Jesus and then being sent out. And this sacred rhythm is something that's repeated over and over again. Prayer, coming together, being sent out. And we saw that if you just focus on one of these, you'll have a distorted view of that particular aspect. Or if you leave one out, if you just focus on two, it's not going to be enough. This sacred rhythm is something that Jesus introduces his disciples to, and it's something that we live out even today. Last week, Forey was here with us and did a wonderful job talking about this beautiful passage in which Jesus says, my burden is light. That if you follow Jesus as a disciple, you will find rest to your souls. And then we come to our text today. Our text today in Matthew chapter 12. And it's a text that on the surface seems really strange, really difficult. And it's a text that, that uh, Matthew intentionally puts together for us to wrestle with. Because Matthew chooses this story, this story of of the sign of Jonah. And then right after that, Matthew puts the story of how Jesus talks about family. And, And just to be honest with you, this is a challenging text. It's one that I think that when I read over, I'm thinking, what am I missing? Are are what's the sign of Jonah? Because Jesus hasn't even died yet. And and is he just speaking for us today? And then, and then why would he put that right before this story about rethinking about who our family is? And, and what do these have to do together? Because we notice that, that Matthew's very intentional about how he puts these pieces of Scripture together. And so I decided I need some help on this. And I'm very fortunate to know Zach... I feel like Zach has been able to help me as I process this. And one of the reasons I went to Zach is that Zach has spent a lot of time this past year in Israel. And uh, Zach, how how many times did you get to go last year? Uh, Three times. Three times in one year, all right? I don't know what he's doing, but that's really great. Zach has really become passionate about understanding the Jewish culture. He's taking Hebrew. He's learning how to read Hebrew, how to, how to uh, speak Hebrew. He's learning about the, the culture of the people there. And, he's, and, and you, you uh, just recently went and studied a little bit about archaeology. So how did this start? You went, first of all, first time you went was... Yeah, yeah. So the first time I went was with my parents. Um, I finished seminary from Lipscomb last May, and my parents thought it'd be a great time to go as a family. And so we went and did a little tour, and that kind of 
I, I guess prime the pump a little bit. Um, yeah. And then Carissa and I and Tyler and Jana Josephson were at an RVL uh, conference and he invited us to go with him. And so we studied it with him in a whole different way. And he's kind of the, the Jewish culture guru, if you will, yeah. who really got us in. Almost like an AFC trip there. You yeah, right. It was, there, Julia okay. was up there. Yeah, yeah it was an I, AFC deal. I love and then, that. Um, as we uh, got towards the end of that, uh, RVL recommended us to, to do this program in Jerusalem out of a college called Jerusalem University College, and it was called a Physical Locations of the Bible Course. And that's Dr. Paul Wright. He's the president of the college where we traveled all around Israel over the course of a month, and we learned just by the end of, we did a, like 40 hours of mapping work, so we just kind of have the map and the geography and kind of the, a lot of the archaeology stuff in our head. And so seeing all of those angles has just kind of given this new life and this new color and it's really helped me um to read the text so yeah it's, it's been a great experience and so now you know why <laughs> i decided to walk down the hallway and say zach the sign of jonah marriage and family all right what is going on here what's behind the scenes that we're missing when we read it just in our western context and so zach help us out yeah I, one of the, my favorite things, and, and I've, I've been a Bible reader all my life, but one of my favorite things about what this last year has given me is it's given me a newfound love and respect for the teachings of Jesus. Uh, you see, when I have grown up reading my Bible, I always read Jesus, and I knew he was the most important, so I was like, this is great. I'll read my Sermon on the Mount. It gives me some practical stuff that's super helpful. Um, but they never really quite captured my imagination um, the way that I think they should have because Jesus is, so, is, this, is the master teacher. He's the son of God. Um, sometimes I found myself almost leaning and feeling a little bit more intrigued by what Paul was saying than what Jesus was saying. And not that there's a dichotomy or anything like that, but as I came to study more about this Jewish background and culture, I came to realize something that I probably should have known the whole time is that Jesus was a Jewish rabbi who was teaching to a Jewish audience, and of course, he's using a Jewish style. Anyone who is a good teacher is going to understand their audience and speak to that audience in a way that that audience understands. And so something that's helpful is the more that we can learn about the, the culture to which Jesus was teaching to, sometimes we can see that insights to the text that our Western eyes might just make us miss. Mm. Uh, you see, Jewish style relies on parable and illusion and poetry. It is very subtle. They, they don't really want you to, to say what you mean. That's, that's little kid talk. They want you to kind of talk about it on one level and have it be super straightforward, but then they put little insights in there that if you know the text really well, the audience will catch and they'll be like, ooh, that's really interesting what he's saying. And I was not raised in a culture that just necessarily gravitates towards parable, illusion, and poetry, or even subtlety for that matter. Um, you see... I had the privilege, and I love my parents, and they're not here. Um, I had the privilege of being raised by two certified public accountants. And to any of you who know certified public accountants, or accounting in general, um, does anybody know, this is a great accounting joke that I find funny, um, what do you call creative accounting? Fraud. <laughs> right? Creativity is not necessarily in the wheelhouse of my upbringing. Um, I also handicapped myself further by going to business school, 
which was a great decision, and I'm not disparaging it at all, but they taught us how to write memos. And when you're writing a memo, you are not supposed to use fluff. You're not supposed to use poetry or illusion. You're supposed to get to the point. Send it out, and let's keep moving, right? Because we all have work to do. So these were sort of the stylistic things that, that trained me. And so if I take that background and I go to Jesus' teaching, I'm focusing on maybe the first level of what he's talking about, what's plainly there on the text. Um, and you see, what's great is that that teaches us so much. I am not here telling you that you have to be a master of Jewish culture to know what Jesus is trying to tell you. That is not at all what I'm saying. There is a first level that is so important. But I do think that whenever we start to study how Jesus was teaching, there are sometimes insights that we see that make the text pop in a whole new way. You see, Jewish teaching often contains, like I said, multiple levels, the stated and the implied. And Jesus was a master of doing this. Um, Tyler Josephson and Greg Anderson are, are teaching through the Gospel of Luke and pulling out some of those things on Wednesday night. I think it'd be a great, if you're interested in that um, in more depth, that would be a great option for you. Um, but I think that this text is just a perfect example of where that Jewish style is coming through. All right, so we've got, we've got the sign of Jonah, and we really don't really know what he's talking about there and then we've got the story of Jesus redefining family and what spiritual family is so let's get into the text can you help me with that yeah definitely so all of us I think we see the first level of the sign of Jonah because Jesus makes it clear he says three days and three nights in in the belly of a whale three days and three nights in the tomb um that sometimes makes me scratch my head because I'm like, okay, how does this Good Friday thing work with Sunday? That, but anyways, that's a whole, whole nother thing. Um, but the deal is, is that there is this underneath, this second level of that reference that we often miss. And to catch that part of the reference, you need to know just a little bit about the prophet Jonah. You see, Jonah was very unique amongst the prophets of the Old Testament because he was a prophet not to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. And not just any Gentiles, but to the Assyrian Empire. And to any, because I did not see all of you shudder visibly, you don't quite get what the Assyrian Empire was. Mm. This is the most vicious and cruel empire in the history of the world, bar none. End stop. They invented ways of torturing and killing people that are just abhorrent. And Jonah was a prophet during the end of the northern kingdom of Israel, so somewhere between 800 and 750 B.C. And Jonah was sent by God to this ruthless and vicious empire who were on the rise to becoming the major world power and who in 722 B.C. would utterly destroy Jonah's people. Totally destroy the kingdom of Israel, all of Jonah's family. All of Jonah's land. So we're looking at 20 to 30 years yes. before this actually happened. But and everyone knows that they're on the rise. It's kind of like how we feel about China right now. We know eventually they're going to be a problem. It's just, you know, when. Um, <laughs> so when I was taught the story of Jonah, I found him to be at best cranky and at worst an insolent jerk. I failed to realize what God was asking Jonah to do. God asked Jonah to rescue the destroyers of Israel. 
He asked Jonah to go to Israel's enemies and preach God's repentance, condemning Jonah's own people to death. The sign of Jonah is not just the whale. The sign of Jonah is that God cares for his enemies, that God cares for the Assyrians, and to Jesus' audience, that God cares for the Romans. Imagine yourself in Jesus' audience's shoes. They live as an oppressed people group underneath the boot of Roman rule. They are reading their Bibles and doing their best to follow them. They want to be the people of God. They want to be a kingdom of priests. They want to stay pure of the evil of the pagan world. And Jesus is saying that the sign that is going to be given to them is that God loves his enemies. That God loves the Romans who they're trying to stay away from. That the pagans will find God's favor. It's no wonder that the reaction to Jesus was mixed. But like Kelly said, that's not all we have in this text. Had Jesus been schooled in any modern preaching school, he probably would have let that one sit and kind of move on to lighter subjects. Um, There's a trade secret I'll let you in on that crowds rarely have patience for multiple difficult teachings. You know, God loves your enemies is a hard one. And so maybe just let that one cool off for just a little bit, and then we'll, we'll move on, and we'll go to a deep subject at a later date. But verse 46 tells me that he wasn't trained by the same people who trained me. Because it says that while he was still talking to the crowd, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, he starts talking about the redefinition of the family. That these topics are linked. Matthew is very clear that Jesus taught these things together And so there's some connection between God's love for all nations, not just our own, and Jesus declaring that earthly family are not important as those who hear the word of God and do it. And I think I know what that connection is. You see, family and nation are the two most powerful allegiances in human history. They are the two easiest things in the world to get people to die for. They are the two easiest things in the world that can convince people to spill blood for. And if Jesus' kingdom is not going to be of this world, but of another world, then his disciples better get those relationships right. They better understand that while allegiance to family and nation is important, they never outweigh our first allegiance, which is to the kingdom of God. So Jesus takes 12 verses and attacks two idols, calling us, his disciples, to keep the gift of family and the gift of nation in their proper place. Because the kingdom that Jesus is bringing transcends nationality. My family is bigger than me and Carissa. My family is bigger than just you guys here in this room or the Christians in America. I have brothers and sisters In Mexico, in Syria, in Iran, in China, in the Palestinian territories. I have brothers and sisters north of MLK and in the state streets and the south side apartments. My first and primary allegiance is to the kingdom of God. And because of that, my concern stretches far beyond where I'm comfortable. Hear me clearly. Jesus is certainly not saying that as Christians we have to reject our families, nor is he saying that we have to become some kind of globalist and think that all nationalism is evil. That's not what he's saying. Jesus' mom was with him at his death. His brothers went on to lead the church. 
Jesus was a Jew who ministered to the Jewish people who weeped over the destruction of the Jewish nation. Jesus' point here is that our first allegiance, our first family, are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's both a warning and an invitation. It's a warning against idolatry and an invitation into the family of God. An invitation into Jesus' family. And that's incredibly important, guys, because for many Christians today, this isn't some theoretical point of doctrine. It's a lived reality. Yeah. It's amazing how when you've lived a long time, like I have and many of you, that there's memories that are in your mind that aren't really there, and then you start reading a passage of Scripture, and all of a sudden, boom, you, you're transported back to a place and time and a meaning that, that you didn't really, you really hadn't thought of in decades. And this is what happened as, as we were reading and, and praying about this passage and studying this passage. I started, uh, it just dawned on me, and I remembered something that happened back years ago when I was a missionary in Thailand. There was a young man who became a Christian, and he was not really, he really wasn't sure how his parents would take the news that he had become a Christian. And so with respect yet trepidation, he made his way back to his home, and he went to his parents and he told them that he had become a follower of Jesus. His parents were irate. For many reasons, it was, it was almost as if he had slapped his mother in the face. And so she cried and, and eventually his dad told him to leave the house. They they took all of his belongings, anything that was, that was his in their house, they just took it out and they threw it out on the road in front of their house. And so he made his way back and told us what had happened. And we gathered some, some Thai Christians that were, that were very respected and had, had gone through something similar in their own life uh, as well. And he shared this story and then we began to just uh, encourage him. And one of the things that one of the Thai brothers, that was one of our elders, told him, said, this is really, really hard for you. I know it's so, so hard for you. But even though your parents have rejected you, you can't reject them. Because you are now a follower of Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus, you still honor your parents. And so we're going to pray for you to have a creative way to show that you love, you honor, and you respect your family. We didn't know what would happen. I kind of forgot about that conversation. Um, didn't really know what happened for years. I moved back here to the States and, and then uh, a couple years ago was able to go back and we, we were talking together and then I asked him, I said, hey, whatever happened with your family? And he, he said, oh yeah, I haven't told you, have I? I said, no, I've been on the other side of the world, sorry. And he said, well, it was difficult. 
but I tried every way I could to show my mother, to show my dad that I loved them and that I respected them. When I got married, he said, and he married this lovely Christian woman, they, they had a Christian wedding ceremony, but they intentionally put into their wedding ceremony a time that they could honor their parents. And so they showed love and honor to, to the parents in a way that made other parents there feel envious. They wish their kids had honored them that way. And then he said, it really got a lot easier when we had children. They had two lovely daughters. And it, especially his mom was really a lot more interested in having them come home when they could bring the daughters. And they taught their daughters how to show honor and love and respect to their grandparents. They wrote them letters. They wrote them thank you notes. They were attentive to special days, anniversaries, and birthdays in a way that, that other parents wished that their kids did. And then he sat back and he got this big smile on his face and he said, you know what happened not long ago? He said, my brother and I were talking and my brother looked at me and he said, do you know what mom just said? Mom told me, and he's the older brother speaking, Mom told me that she wished that I was more like you. <laughs> and I thought, wow, this story fits in with this text right here. Because Jesus is not calling us to, to give up on our family. No, Jesus is calling us to be better at doing family. That if you want to be, a, a, if you want to be the best husband you can be, the way that you do that is by learning what it means to follow Jesus as Lord of your life. If you want to be the best wife that you can be, you become a disciple of Jesus. If you want to be the best child that you can be, you begin to live out the kingdom of God. If you want to be the best neighbor, if you want to be the best person in, in, the, the person in your community that everybody is so glad that you're there, the best citizen, then you become a citizen in the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount, which is a little earlier there in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, if you seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, then all of these other things I'm going to give to you. You will be blessed with this. And so, this is what I think is a deeper meaning that's in this text right here. That we need to put first our allegiance as citizens of the kingdom of God. And then everything else will be ordered properly. Definitely. And the one, the last thing that I think this text demands us consider, it's a really practical thing and an essential thing. That thing is that we here in this room are intended to be a family. And so I ask you guys today, this morning, is that the case? Are we a family? You know, families fight. Families grieve. Families rejoice. They have fun together. They have not so much fun together sometimes. But they stay family. 
So does our bond together as family, does it transcend our worship preferences? Is our bond greater than ideas about what is right with the church and what's wrong with the church and how the church should respond to the nation and whatever, everything else? And please, dear God, tell me that our bond is greater than something as trivial as politics. Many of you know me, and you know that every Wednesday night I teach Christianity 101 because I want there to be a space for people who don't know Jesus to come to a place where no one expects them to know anything. And if you have someone like that, please come on Wednesday night. It's a great place. We just ask questions, and we talk about those things. I have a heart, and I want our church to have a heart for the lost. But if we're asking people in our community to make Jesus their first priority, even if that means leaving behind their family, then we have a responsibility to be a family in place of the one they lose. That means having a seat available at our Thanksgiving tables and an invite ready for our Sunday lunches. That means looking for people in this room who aren't connected to a friend group and pulling them into ours. It means being ready to follow the movement of the Spirit and messing up our routines for the sake of whoever God brings to us. That is who we are called to be. And I want to tell you, church, I've got a lot of hope for this, for our church, because I've seen it happen a lot. It's been almost three years that I've been here for full time. Five if you count my part-time stuff with Monty. And I've seen so many people in this room living out Jesus' teachings well. I've seen people with radically different theological beliefs serve in love together in Jesus' name. I've seen people far from the Church of Christ background that a lot of us share find a place to belong here. I've seen people take in students who had nowhere else to go, go out of their way to ensure the lonely are included, and I've seen people stick with this church even when some decision was made that they really disagreed with and had a hard time with. I've seen us behave like a family. And if you're new here today, I think this place is worth sticking around. Because I think there are a lot of people here who get the gospel who understand that Jesus lived and died to make a way for us to be a part of his family. And they are super interested in being a part of God's family business, the business of helping hurting people and seeking and saving the lost. I think there are people here who want that for themselves, for their family, and for this whole world, for our community. And so I'm excited I think we can do this, church. I think we are, and I think the next hundred years we can become even more like what God intended us to be. And that's our mission, and I just want us to live it out. You know, going to God's Word and studying God's Word is a risk. The risk is that you will be exposed to the teaching of God's Word, and yet you'll just let it pass by. You won't respond to it. And so I love it that it's part of our church tradition that at the end of every time we open up God's word, we have a time for response, a time in which you can listen to the spirit of God in your heart saying how you need to live this next week. What you're going to do is you're sent out and you walk out those doors. 
But it's also a time in which some of you might need to make a decision. You might want to, to find someone to pray with. It might be that you want to know more about what it means to be baptized into the name of Jesus. And it might be that, that you would just like to talk to someone. So whatever it is that the Spirit is saying to you, we pray that you will respond as together we stand and we encourage each other in song.